Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you Um, go ahead and write this down. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Write, write um, these words down. Um, his best for you. That's today's message. It's titled His Best for You. And I think that title is an interesting title because it depends how you define what's his best for you. I think this title could get very tricky. And um, I think this title could get very dangerous. Because I believe that when you say his best for you, you could twist those words and make it fit for you what you want it to fit. So for example, I want to have $5 million in my bank account. That's God's best for me. But what about if it's not? <laughs> okay? What I'm trying to say is we really want to um, understand what this phrase means. And I hope um, and pray that through the story today and through some conversation, uh, we could see this and, and really be blessed by what is God's best for me. And, and I think we're going to define it um, to where I feel God's heart wants to define it today. Um, I believe this as well, that at some point in our lives, we've all have said, or we all will say these things. For example, what um, am I doing in my life? Maybe that happens in your earlier years. Maybe you go through a season in your older years, like, what am I doing in my life? And we've all been there. We've probably said that before. If you've never said that before, Maybe you will get to that point where in your life you'll say, what am I doing with my life? Or I made the wrong decisions, so look where I'm at now. Look where I'm at because of the decisions I made. Or, or I don't know how I ended up here. You've ever been there? That's a good one. How, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Why is this my reality? Maybe you said I surrounded myself around the wrong people, and this is what it's led to because of the people that I've surrounded myself. Maybe you could say I'm here, or I am who I am today, or I'm here today because of where I come from, and my upbringing, my house, and whatever, my family, and this is why I am here. This is why, uh, who, this is who I am because of that. I want you to think about that because if you've asked yourself that or if you're asking yourself that now, I think God's going to speak to your heart. Last week, we, we had a great time talking about a boat in a storm with Jesus and his disciples. The disciples were in it. And if you remember that story, and if not, go back and listen to that message. It's titled, Your Boat Will Not Go Down. But I can imagine that if I was there, and I'm not sure if I said this last week, but if I was there, a thought would cross my mind saying, why am I here? If the, if the, if the boat is, listen, I've been on a boat where it's been so rocky with a friend of mine, and he thought I was about to move to Ohio, and he thought, hey, this is going to be my gift to you. And, and, and I figured this is a picture that I did not want to give you. I know I gave you some pictures last week, but I do not want to show you pictures of this one. My gift to you before you move to Ohio is, I want to take you fishing. And I said, amen. Well, it wasn't so amen. I ended up going fishing. And when I went fishing, um, as soon as we went out, the boat just started rocking. Boof. Boof. And I said, uh-oh. And um, instantly, we went to go catch a dolphin, mahi-mahi, and we threw all the, the reels out from the top, from the bottom. I don't know how many reels were out, and they just started, zzz, 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 and we started catching dolphins, the whole boat, woo, bringing them in. They were, they were like flopping onto the boat. But as they were flopping, everyone on the boat was also vomiting and vomiting, and, 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 and fish were coming in, and people were vomiting. Fish were coming in, and we were just, vo so you could imagine the picture of that. All right? The, <laughs> okay. I don't want to make any of you sick today. It got to a point where I looked, and the friend that I was with was inside with the door open, and he was laid out. Just, and I said, oh, my God, I think he's dead. He just laid out on the floor of the boat, like didn't even care that people were, were all over him. And I was saying, hey, there's fish on the line. And he, and he wouldn't even talk. He was just laid out from all the, uh, it was just a horrible experience. 
I thought it was a good idea. And I said, oh, this is great before I move to Ohio to go fishing and to have a good time. But I remember on that moment, I said, what am I doing here? Why did I say yes to this trip? Why am I vomiting all over the place? This is not good. And I'm sure you've been in places. And here are the disciples, and the boat is rocking, as we heard and we read last week. And if I was there, I would definitely ask, why am I here? Why did I follow Jesus? Why did I even bring in Jesus? Why are we in this boat? Why couldn't I just stay content as a fisherman? I love this. I mean, I could just be a good Christian fisherman and go on with my life. You have no idea how many times I've thought, why am I doing this? I could just go to church and be a good Christian church attender, and I could be okay. <laughs> why am I here? You guys, you guys understand what I'm saying? Why am I here? Why do I keep doing this? <laughs> why do I keep going forward? When I could just be a Christian and still go to heaven. Why? And I'm thinking that the disciples were like, we're following him. But then they're like, I should have just stayed with dad fishing and, and just still believed in this guy. Like it could have just all worked out. Everything could have worked out together. But no, I dropped everything to follow him and now I'm here. If you've ever dropped everything you have to follow Jesus, I am sure that there have been moments in your life that you've looked around and you said, what is happening now? And it's all because, oh, you dropped your nets and you followed Jesus. Welcome to the lifestyle. Welcome to the fellowship of those who dropped their nets to follow Jesus. How many of you can say amen? We learned that Jesus in the boat last week was not worried. Where was Jesus in the boat last week? He was so there. <laughs> he was so there that he was resting. He was so there and he was so resting that he had all and total full control. And the boat will not go down. And we said that the disciples were obedient. They were obedient to remain with Jesus entering this boat that would end up testing and building up their faith. And, and then I mentioned Jonah real quick last week as well. And I said, yes, the disciples' obedience led them to a sinking boat. But it was Jonah's disobedience that led him to his sinking boat. And I want to kind of get into this a little bit more. And as I share his best for you, I want to look at the life of Jonah and kind of go back and forth as well. Maybe I'll mention the disciples here and there. But the life of Jonah is a very interesting life and story, and, and we don't have much of it. We just have four chapters of it. But we get an understanding of who Jonah was and what's going on in Jonah's day, and um, what's the deal with him? Like, what is it that, that took place? I, I want to kind of introduce this to you. Let's go ahead and do that. I'm going to read just verses 1, 2, and 3, and then we'll see where we go from there. Again, I said to please have grace and pray for me today, and hopefully... We'll get through this. Here we go. Verse 1, it says this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. So Jonah's introduced to us. The Lord is obviously introduced to us. And the Lord is giving a message, a command, and he's calling Jonah to something. And this is what he tells Jonah. He says to get up and go to the city. And I love that the city is the great city. And which great city is it? It's the great city of Nineveh. And announce my judgment. Give them my judgment. Announce my word against Nineveh because I have seen how wicked its people are there. Okay, pause, think about that. Like, reflect on that for a moment. Okay, God speaking to Jonah. Jonah, go give this word to this great city, Nineveh. And okay, Lord, what am I going to say to them? Nothing good. What you're going to say is, I'm going to destroy them because they're wicked. Uh, can I go over there and pe preach a more positive message? Um, I've heard that they're ruthless over there. I heard they're pretty intense and they're not nice to some visitors. But yet you want me to go with this hardcore message. Look at verse 3. So the, Jonah hears the Lord giving him this command. And Jonah gets up. And, and I love, he goes the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Um, better translation is this. But Jonah rose to flee 
to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He flees to a whole other direction from the presence of the Lord. I asked you a question during worship. Where are we when it comes to the presence of the Lord? Here is Jonah, and he's receiving a word from the Lord. And the first thing that he does is, I don't like it. And because he doesn't like it, he says, I, I got to go. And it says, he went to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship, in verse 3, leaving to Tarsus. And he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord, or better said, from the presence of the Lord by sailing to this town. So really, like, like, I, like the Bible is beautiful in itself. Like, three verses. And in these first three verses, it's almost like comical, you know, as you read. Like, is this a movie? Is this like a story that I'm reading? Like, what, what really is going on here? Because it begins to play out, and it's funny because you're like, eh, who does this stuff? But if we're honest, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to say, I do. <laughs> we do. We've been there where we've ran and we've left from the presence of the Lord. I don't like what you're telling me. I don't like where you're sending me. I don't like where you're leading me. I think I have another thing that's better for me. Today's message is titled, His Best for You. But how many of you have struggled with His Best for You because of your best for yourself? Ever been there? This is what I feel is best for me. But the Lord is like, but that's not my best for you. And then what do you start doing with God? You start wrestling. You start fighting. You get mad. You get bitter. You get hurt. You complain. I mean, again, I'm not looking at any of you. There's a massive mirror that I'm staring at. And that's the things that I do. And that's the things that we do. So there's a few things here that we want to look at. Number one, Jonah. Jonah is here. He's in this story, obviously. The book is called Jonah. And as Jonah is presented to us, we see that he's a prophet. Important. He's a prophet. Why is that important? Well, it's his job. It's his duty. It's his calling. And his calling here is to go and give God's word. At any moment, at any time, you are the prophet of God. So you do what God says to do and you say what God says to say. Imagine that. Imagine that by your boss, you are hired, employed to do a certain task, and you need to fulfill that task, and in your morning meeting, you're going to go over what some of those tasks look like, and as they give them to you, like, nah, I'm not doing that today. And your boss just looks at you and says, what are you talking about? If I hired you, I can fire you. Do you understand that? I'm asking you to do this task. This is what we hired you for. Now, nah, I've got something better to do today during my work hours. As a prophet of God, he, his work hours are constant. He is to do what God calls him to do, go where God calls him to go, say what God called him to say. Isn't it kind of like your life? Isn't it kind of like our lives? Well, we are to go where God calls us to go. Say what God calls us to say. Do as God calls us to do. Don't say, no, that is the prophet's job or that is the pastor's job. No, that is the priesthood. That is our job to do that. Amen? So we see, number one, we see Jonah. Number two, we see a, a town called Tarsish. And he's going to this town. And what's so important about this town? Well, what's interesting about it is that it's opposite of Nineveh. And how fitting would it be for the Lord to say, go over there. And he says, nah, I'm going to go over there instead. And he gets on a boat and he goes completely the opposite way from where the Lord is telling him. He turns his back completely from the location where God is calling him to go. He says, not that direction, my direction. In Noah's day, it's interesting because Tarshish is known or would be known in his day to be called the end of the earth. Oh, where are you going? You're going where? That's like the end of the earth. And that's where he chose to go. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'd rather get on a boat and let it take me to the end of the earth before I ever go to Nineveh. And you say, wow, how bad can Nineveh be? Number three, so we have Jonah. Obviously, the Lord is in all these things. He's speaking to Jonah. Number two, we have this town that, at the end of the earth, that Jonah ends up directing himself to. 
And then number three, we have Nineveh. I want us to look at Nineveh. Why not just go to Nineveh and do what God says to do? Why, why not just be faithful and obedient? What's the deal with them? What's the deal with Nineveh? Well, Nineveh is a big city, as we learn. Not only is it a big city, but it's held in this time very big. Uh, 120,000 people, more or less, would live in this town of, of Nineveh. A very big town. It's so large that in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, it tells us that it takes three days for them to see all of Nineveh. And in Bible times, in these times of these towns, that was a long time to see a whole town. So Nineveh was a big city with a lot of people living in it. But it's not only that. The prophet Nahum gives us some insight on Nineveh. I'm going to read it to you because you're like, okay, okay, but what's up with Nineveh? Here it is. Chapter 3, verse 1, the book of Nahum says this. It says, what sorrow awaits Nineveh? I mean, what an amazing introduction. <laughs> you're so proud of Miami, you know, Hialeah, whatever you're proud of, you know, Westchester. Westchester, born and raised, you know, and then it's like, Hialeah, born and raised. Or, and then imagine Nahum says, what sorrow awaits Hialeah? What sorrow awaits Miami? Look what he says about Nineveh. The city of murder and lies. Can you imagine? I mean, we have some cities here that are named some stuff, don't we? The city of murder and lies. She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. Hear the crack of whips, the rumble of wheels, horses, hooves, pounds, chariots clatter wildly. See the flashing swords and glittering spears as the charioteers charge past. There are countless casualties. <laughs> Want to take a vacation there? Heaps of bodies. <laughs> Heaps of bodies. So many bodies that people stumble over them. All this because Nineveh, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms. English Standard says it this way. And all for the, for the countless whorings of the prostitute. That's how the English Standard Translation describes Nineveh. <laughs> the countless whorings of the prostitute. Enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught them all of her magic, enchanting people everywhere. I mean, let's stop reading. We could say that Nineveh needs the Lord. Nineveh is dark. Nineveh is cruel. Nineveh is ruthless. There's dead bodies, there's murderers, there's lying, there's prostitution. I mean, you could see this, and it's a cesspool of sin. It's a cesspool of darkness. I mean, you want a good time in sin? You want to dabble into the darkest elements of this world? Take a trip to Nineveh. I mean, we have some cities like that in our very own nation. Just go and bask yourself in Nineveh and have a wonderful time with sin and darkness. And that's what Nineveh was. So it makes sense that Jonah, the man of God, would not want to take that trip. Why put himself in a place of danger? I've read the newspaper, Lord. I saw the Instagram post, Lord. I know what they do at Nineveh. And they're not going to welcome me. Not just that, but we know according to chapter 4 that Jonah has some ill feelings about Nineveh and the Ninevites. Because when the Lord decided to save Nineveh, which he does in the, later on in this book, and not destroy them but save them, we see that Jonah wanted them to be destroyed. Can you imagine that God, seriously, like this is, this is so, I, I see that there's hope for me when I see people like Jonah. Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh. Nineveh gets saved. They repent of their sins. He's hanging out under like a tree. We're not going to get into all of that today. And, and, and the Lord's like, ah, I'm going to have like compassion. I saved them. And, and, and Jonah is like, what? You're going to what them? I'm not going to destroy them. I'm going to save them. Thank you for being obedient. And he gets mad at God like, no, you got to kill them all. You got to destroy them all. You mean to tell me that you brought me to this city and you're not going to kill all of them? And God's like, no, that's why I brought you. That's why I've asked you to do this. I have a purpose. Today's message is titled, His Best for You. I'm going to show you. These are Jonah's words to God. It's found in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Ready? 
He says, I knew. Can you imagine just saying this to God? I'm sure we have. Maybe. But he says, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and you're filled with unfading love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Verse 3. Just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted would not happen. I mean, you got to love the Bible. It's, this is a real story that took place. He said, you might as well kill me if you're not going to kill them. I know what's best. What's best is that we destroy them. And the Lord's like, you don't know my best. Come on, have you asked yourself, what am I doing in this situation? And the Lord's like, trust me, I have my best for you in mind, even in this situation. So we see a little bit of Jonah's feelings. We see a little bit of his thoughts that he had towards a certain people and God was going to, yes, eventually deal with Jonah. And we see that towards the rest of the book. But what else do we see in these first three verses? Well, we see his disobedience. Because he didn't like what the Lord was telling him. He thought it better to go opposite direction. Okay, I'm only going to speak for myself again. Have you ever been counseled and you know what the godly counsel is, but you still decided, I still am going to go my own direction, even though I know what I'm receiving is God's counsel for my life? Am I the only one? I know that you put this man, this woman in my life. They gave me godly counsel. I'm not going to go that direction. I still think this is what's best for me. And I could only be honest and ask one question. How did it end up? You crashed? I crashed and burned. Whoa. Okay, we'll talk about that next week. She ended up crashing and burning. <laughs> but think about that for a moment. And then you came back. I, I, I felt like my direction, Lord, was better, even though I know that was godly counsel. He was disobedient, and he went the opposite direction, but... As a better translation puts it, he thought, Jonah, he thought it better to flee from the presence of the Lord. Did we not think that that godly counsel was the exact presence of the Lord for our lives? He, he fled from the presence of the Lord. I wish I can tell you that I have never thought this or even done this before in my life. Never. I've never done this. <laughs> Or I've never thought this. Never have I fled from the presence of the Lord because he was calling me to something difficult or something that I've come to disagree with him about. I wish I could say that. But I can't because I am Jonah. I've been in Jonah's shoes. And I can tell you this. Jonah will not win this battle. Never have I won that battle. And sorry, I know you may not want to hear this, but you will never win that battle either. If you want, go ask some people that are on a boat being shipwrecked right now and say, how'd it go? They're going to be like, listen to God. <laughs> listen to the counsel of God. Stay in the presence of the Lord. It is not better. We know the phrases. The grass is greener on the other side. And you jumped over the fence. Was it really? You should have stayed in the presence of the Lord. You should have stayed in the direction in which God was leading you. I've seen many people leave. And many people do all kinds of things. And all kinds of fantasies. And all kinds of, whoa, I'm going to do all the... And then, boof! What happened to them now? They're just... You were better off in the presence of God. You were better off making the right decisions. You were better off. You were better off in the difficulty of life honoring Christ than trying to go the easy path, disobeying Christ, because at the end, its results will not benefit you. And definitely not his kingdom. How many of us have taken the easy route by disobeying God than saying, Lord, I'm going to obey you, so I'm going to learn to go the hard route because it's better to obey. And this is Jonah's struggle. Do I obey and live in difficulty or do I disobey and make it easier for me? But when he jumped over the fence, he says, oh, it's not as easy as I thought. Again, today's message is titled, His Best for You. 
Hallelujah. I wish I could stand here and says and say, put your hand on your wallet. And we're gonna pray that that wallet multiplies by 7 p.m. today, and that you would have a fourfold account on your bank. And, and I mean, I can't do that. His best for you. I'm just talking about his best for you. We're gonna answer that in a moment. I've come to learn in scripture and believe through my experiences as well that the most dangerous place man can find themselves, you should write this down, is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The best place for you to be is always in the presence of God. What should I do today? I have no idea, but don't not get out of the presence of God. Get into the presence of the Lord. Last week's conversation The disciples were in a boat that was being beaten and threatened to sink, but there remains a truth that we cannot hide from or come to reject, and that is that Jesus was on the boat, and where his presence is, is the greatest and most important place that we can be, even if it's in the greatest storm of our life. So if you are going through the greatest storm of your life, you are well If the presence of the Lord is there with you. You're well. So what does Jonah do in his life? He gets on a boat. Let's go back to Jonah. I know we were talking about disciples and Jonah and disciples and Jonah. It's like ping pong over here. Back to Jonah. He gets on a boat. And as he gets on a boat, it's a boat that is going not that direction, but the wrong direction. Opposite from where the Lord is sending him. I can't be sure that everyone hearing this knows this whole story of Jonah. So, so go back this week and read chapters 2 and 3 and 4. Read it all for yourself. It doesn't all go well for Jonah. But I can imagine Jonah asking himself, how did I end up here? What am I doing with my life? And I could only remind myself and trust what scripture tells me, and also encourage you as well that the best place for me and the best place for you with whatever question you may be asking in your current situation is this, the best place for you is remain in his presence. It's his presence. It's his presence. And Jonah, here he is on this boat. He wanted to be more about his program than about going where the presence of the Lord was leading. The scariest and most dangerous thing we can be is to be all about a program or to go with the program and not with the presence of the Lord. To be more about the program than the Lord's presence. And Jonah comes to the point where he says, it's all about my program. And he skips out on the presence of the Lord. But like the disciples last week, and like Jonah this week, I will tell you this, and here it is, the Lord always has the best for you. The problem is, his ideas of what's best for you many times are different than the ideas that you have for yourself. Jonah had to go through the schooling of life that the Lord would take him through to learn this. And that's the same thing with us. In Jonah chapter 1, We read in the first three verses what happens. But then it goes on, and let's read together. And after we're done reading, we're going to wrap it all up. And look what it says. It says in verse 4, But the Lord, remember Jonah, he's on a boat. He's going the opposite direction. It says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was asleep down in the hold, so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Jesus was sleeping in the boat in the storm. And Jonah is sleeping as well in his storm, in his boat. But um, it's a different kind of sleep. And it's a different kind of thing that they're doing. I love how I read uh, um, a commentary on this. 
while the storm raged, in verses 5 and 6, Jonah slept. Perhaps because the storm outside seemed insignificant to him in comparison to the storm inside that came from his resistance against God. What was the greater storm in the book of Jonah? Was it the storm that was capsizing the boat? Or was it the storm inside of his very own heart that was being disobedient to God? We need to answer that question. What's the greatest storm in your life? Is it that someone dear to you in your family got, got sick? Or someone very dear to you in your family just walked away from you? And you say, that's the greatest storm in my life. Is that the greatest storm or is the condition of your soul, the condition of your heart, the condition of am I obedient or disobedient to God, is that the greatest storm of your life? And I feel like sometimes we get so caught up with the physical storm of Jonah's life that we don't look deeper and say, wait a minute, there's not just a physical storm, there's also this very deep internal spiritual storm that Jonah is dealing with. And when he's dealing with it, guess what it leads him to? Just like it led Elijah to, into a cave. What does it lead him to? To the boat to sleep when he should not be sleeping at this moment. He should be what? Dealing with his storm. Not sleeping in that. And I, and I think that's so amazing to read that in these verses. What a curious and tragic scene this is. All the sailors, religious men. How do I know they were religious men? Because they were devout in their prayers. It says they began to pray to their own gods. Not our God. Not Jonah's God. But hey, at least they were religious devout men in prayer to their own gods. But yet their gods really could do nothing. So there was one man on board who had a relationship with the true and living God, who knew God's word, who worshipped the true God, worshipped the true God, yet he was asleep. Can you imagine living a life that you know the one true God, you know and worship the true and living God, but yet you go to sleep? I know that no one in here does that, starting with me. How dare we fall asleep when we have such a powerful word in our bones? There's someone that's living with us that is perishing. And if they die, they go to hell. But not us. We're not sleeping on their soul. And Jonah is sleeping and they wake him up. Aren't you the prophet of God? Don't you know the word of God? And yet he's asleep. It's, it's, it's such an interesting story. Let's, let's keep going. Verse 7, and the crew, so the captain went down, right? He shouted, get up, pray for our God. Maybe he'll pay attention and spare our lives. Verse 7, then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused a terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. I mean... God's like, I'm going to use these heathens to show my son Jonah that he's all messed up. They're casting lots. It keeps falling on Jonah. Why has this awful storm come down to us? They demanded. Who are you? They asked Jonah. Who are you? <laughs> oh, man. What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? I mean, I don't think they're like sipping tea and like, so who are you? I would like to get to know you. I think they have them pushed against a wall and they're, tell me who you are because our gods are saying that you're at fault right now. Tell me what you've done. Tell me who you are. What do you do for a living? And what is Jonah's answer going to be? Is he going to be like Peter and say, Psh, I never knew him. I don't know him. What's well, Jonah? Jonah answers and says, oh, all right. I'll come clean. I am a Hebrew, <laughs> and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had told them already, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Guys, seriously, who's Jonah speaking to? To a bunch of what? Unbelievers. And here's Jonah the believer, and it says they are terrified because they recognize that he's running from the Lord. Oh, why did you do this, Jonah? 
they began to groan. And since the storm was getting worse, they asked, what should we do to stop this storm? How cool is it that unbelievers could also check believers at times and says, there's something wrong with you today. Lately, you haven't been the same. And you're like, well, who are you to judge me? Well, they're the eyes that have been witnessing your testimony for years. And now you're going to show them something different? You better be ready for when they question you, what have you done? No one can judge me. Okay. They were judging Jonah right now. So it says, what should we do? Verse 12, he says, throw me into the sea. And it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors, these guys were good guys, man. At least, right? They said they rode even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. And then they cried out to the Lord. Look at this. They cried out to Jonah's God. Can I tell you something today? He knows what's best for you. God is so good that even in your disobedience, he will grab the unbeliever to still use your disobedience to cause them to cry out to his goodness. I look at this story, I'm like, my God, he's so graceful. He's touching sinners' lives through Jonah's disobedience. Because it's God, it's never about the prophet Jonah. It's always about the goodness of our Lord, amen? It says here, instead they tried, right? In verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him. Look at what he says next. Look what they say. You have brought this storm upon him for your own good reason. Again, he knows what's best for you. The sailors picked up Jonah, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once, and the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice, and they vowed to serve him. I wish the Bible continued to follow the sailor stories, but it doesn't. Now the Lord had arranged, everyone look at verse 17. Actually, verse 17, let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Now the Lord had arranged for the... If I was Jonah, and I'm thrown into the water, and I said, how did I get myself into this mess? And then a massive fish, which um, we could come to believe is this massive whale, comes and gallops Jonah... Now I'm in a belly of a whale, which has been proven that you can survive, because I believe a couple years ago, it was a woman that was two days stuck in a belly of a whale, and he also spat her out, and she survived. So these are stories that really happen (laughs) in real life. So if it happened not that many years ago, why couldn't it happen in Jonah's day? And he's in the belly of the whale... And I could just, what do you hear inside the belly of a whale? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts in a belly of a fish? What is your prayer? My prayer is that God, please don't let this whale swim so deep. Because if he spits me out and I'm in the abyss, I'm gone. Like this ain't going to happen. The pressure, it's not going to go good. The air pocket in here is what's keeping me alive. Don't let the whale spit me out. I don't know what my thought would be. Three days. I'm thinking, I wish, like, I'll tell you what. When we get to heaven, we're going to wrap this up now. But when we get to heaven, let's sit down with Jonah for a little while. Like Jonah. Like what really happened for those three days? Like what was it like? He was like, bro, I was filled with nasty stuff. But But he, like three days must have felt like, an eternity. An eternity. Verse 17, we all read it together. Now the Lord had arranged. The Lord had arranged. I mean, you know, I read the scripture and I look at my own life. 
And I could say this. How is it that I'm here today? How is it that you're here today? And it's always because of verse 17. The Lord had arranged. And even in the moment, it didn't look best for you. Like seriously, oh, you know what? You're in the middle of the ocean. Everything's finally calm. And you're trying to stay up on top of the water. Like, you know what would be great right now? If a massive fish just swallows me. That's not going through anyone's mind. So sometimes you have an idea in the middle of your sea. And like, oh, you know what would be great for me? And the Lord is like, before you say a word, let me tell you what's going to be best for you. And he brings a massive fish and swallows you. And you're inside the belly. And you're like, really, Lord? He's like, yeah, watch what I do with this. God, why did you allow this? He's like, because I have the best for you. Both stories, Jonah and last week's with the disciples, Jesus, the boat, the Lord had the best for them. It was not their idea of what's best, but it was his idea of what's best. He had a fish, it says in verse 17, (laughs) waiting for him because the Lord had the best for Jonah. How many of you, if you were God, you would have been like, yeah, sailors, throw him over. I'm just going to do away with him. I'm going to pick someone better. Jonah's getting on my nerve. How many of you have thrown people out of your life because they got on your nerves? Sorry. I might have touched. And God's like, not me. I love him so much. I'm going to swallow him with a fish. Why would God do that to me? Because his heart is, I have the best for you. And he has a fish waiting for Jonah. Because the Lord has the best for him. The disciples are to take Christ and the ministry of Christ to the other side of the lake last week. Jonah is to take God's word to Nineveh so that they could receive salvation. So he has the best for me, for you always. And I get it now when I read scripture and I've gotten it now that I'm getting older. The best for me that he has for me, it's always for him to be glorified at the end of the day. Do you know how many times I've heard men pray for their platforms to be lifted up? And they forget to say, no, it's about Christ to be lifted up. Your prayers are on the wrong thing. Your building is in the wrong thing. Your thing is in the programs. And it's not being fixed in his presence. Where you know there he will always have the best for you. So as I thought about Jonah's life, I said, oh, Proverbs 16.9, worship could come up. And the Proverbs, it tells us that the heart of man plans his ways. But it's the Lord who directs and establishes, right, his steps. There's a popular verse, and I think it's misquoted, misinterpreted, and not fully seen in the context of things. But in Jeremiah 29, 11, we're always quoting a verse like this. We're always saying things like, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Amen, right? I know. Yes, I know the plans he has for me. So what are the plans that God has for you? Well, they're plans for good and not for disaster. You tell that to Jonah, who's in a fish's belly. You tell that to someone who just lost a parent. You tell that to someone who someone they love just walked out on them. You tell that to someone who just lost their job. At that very exact moment, how are you going to define that verse in their life? What really is the good that God has for them? I don't know. I feel like it's a, it's 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 nah. There are plans of good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. I mean, in Romans, we read a scripture that sounds a little close to this. And Paul writes, and he says, And we know that God causes everything. What does he cause? Everything. To do what? To work together for the good. But watch this. Of those who love God and are called according to the purpose for them. 
For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I mean, you read the scripture like God causes everything to work together for good. So I thought about this as we close up. I thought about this as I talk about Jonah. I thought about this as I talk about the disciples. And here it is. So what is the working together for good that God has for those who love him? What is it? I can't tell you what it is for you. Because that will make me God. But I would like for you to write this down in your notes, on your phone, or somewhere on your skin, on your arm, on your hand. What is the working together for good that God has for me who loves him? My message today, he, has, he always has the best for you. He always has the good for you. And that is found in what God is causing to work together. And sometimes you could say something like, I'll never get swallowed by a fish because God is working the good for me. But what you don't know is that the fish is part of God causing good for his purpose and for your life. How do I save Babylon? How do do I save this king? I know I have three of my friends that I could do. We always talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But have you ever considered for once that God's like, I have a great idea. We'll just allow Shad, Meshach, and Abednego to go into a fire. I have three of my friends that I could place in a fire. Oh, God would never stick me in a fire. Why would you say that? Because he has... The good for me. He's causing all things to work together for good. Well, the causing to work all things for good may also be a fire. Why? Because when you come out of the fire, the king gets saved and there's revival in the whole nation. Or because when you come out of the fish, you have a word from God and all those sinners repent of their sin. So whatever God is causing, it may not be according to your ideas but it may be according exactly how he wants it with his idea because when you come out of it, trust me, you're going to come out better but more important than you, he's going to come out glorified and he's going to come out risen and people are going to have to repent and fall to his feet and say, this man, this woman has a word from the Lord because look what the Lord has caused for the good of his name, for the good of his kingdom, for the good of his glory, Lord, I repent and I come and I bow before who you are. That's what the Lord does in our lives. For some of you, you can live in a palace and live the best of your, the, the best day ever, but for some of you, you will not live that way. On earth, you will live struggling every single day. Why? Because there's a testimony in your struggle that is going to touch someone else's life. There's a testimony in your sickness that is going to touch someone else's life. There's a testimony in that death that is going to touch someone else's life. There is a testimony in you. And if you know that God is working all things, He's causing everything to work together for good, you're going to get it that at the end of all of this, my King, my God, my Lord, will be glorified it's not about me it's about his glory it's about his glory so I can't be a preacher a pastor we can't be a church that throws this fake facade and says I promise you that if you do this it's gonna be lovely the heck it is man Thomas was speared Peter was hung upside down every disciple John was dipped and burned by burning oil and thrown into an island every apostle of God suffered for the sake of the word of God and you mean to tell me that God is not going to cause all things to work together for his good when it's for his glory the burning is worth it when it's for his glory the storm is worth it when it's for his glory the I know this is hard The death, the pain, the misery is worth it 
because at the other end of it is Christ glorified for men to repent and acknowledge him as Lord. You're probably like, why didn't you just start that from the beginning and not give us the whole story of Jonah? I'm sorry I took so long to get to that point. But I need you to recognize that Jonah is not so far from us. Sometimes he will cause a boat to sink and a storm to crash. And then when you get thrown in the water because you're the problem, he's so good that you don't even see it yet. He brings a fish to swallow you. And you're like... You're in the fish's belly and you're saying, my day can't get any worse. And God's in his glory and he says, your day is just getting better. You're lucky I put that fish there. If not, you'll be dead because there was a hundred sharks. Sharks around you. The, the fish is saving you from the sharks, fool. And you're like, oh, but you don't know that. You don't know that. Because all we do is complain because I'm in the belly of the fish. How dare God put me in a boat that is sinking? How dare God put me in a storm that is crashing? How dare God put me in a belly of a fish that is eating me? And the whole time God sits on his throne in majesty and says, my son and my daughter, if you only knew that I am causing all of this for the good. Come on, dance in the whale's belly. Dance in the whale's belly. Grab a partner and dance with them. And say, let's dance together. Because we are in the belly of the fish. Sing together. While the storm is crashing. What's the song we sang earlier? Get, grab the mic. What's the song we sang? You're worthy of it all. Huh? You're worthy of it all. I don't know. Just sing it. Okay. No, you. Sofana, start singing it. Okay, I got it. It's crashing. You are worthy of it all. The wind is beating. I'm going to sink. But inside you're of you of comes a song and you start to say, he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. From you he's worthy of the, of the storm that's beating me. He's He's worthy of the boat that's crashing. He's, he's worthy of the fish that has eaten me. He's worthy of the fire that is flamed around me. He's worthy because he's causing it all. Yes, the Lord has prosperous plans for me, but they're to glorify his name. You're worthy of it all. Come on, dance in the fish's belly. Dance in the fire. Dance in your storm. Let the winds hit you. Let the waves hit you and sing the song to your king. You're worthy. You are worthy of it all. I minimize my complaints today. You are worthy of it all. I minimize my 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 pain today, my torture today. For you are worthy. For you are worthy. You deserve the glory. Yes. Worthy. And you are worthy of the storm. Worthy is the belly of the fish. You are worthy of Come on, you're being rocked. You're being pushed. You're being crushed. Boy, from you are But he is causing. He's causing it to work together for good. Because our God is good. Our God is good. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. Deserve the glory. Day and night, night and day, that incense arise. Day and night, night and day, that incense arise. 
pray for our pastor father we praise you <laughs> we love you we love you we love you we love you we love your presence we love your word we love your goodness we just love you your word says that we need to honor those that are in authority father god and we lift up pastor regal father god and sue your hands father god as your children, as a church, Father God, we are heeding to your voice, Father God, and we are lifting up this man of God, this man who is unafraid, who is unashamed, Father God, this man of valor, Father God, who has taken, Father God, he's been steadfast in your word, Father God, day in and day out, Father God, just listening and feeding us your word, Father God, and your word says that what we do for you never goes unnoticed, God. And at this moment, we honor his life. We honor his calling. We just honor him, Father. Your word says that you are Jehovah Rapha. And that means that you are my healer. It means that you heal the things that are broken and you put back into normalcy the things that stepped out of line, Father God. You know his heart. You know his mind, Father God. You see his family. You see his wife. You see his children, Father God. You see it all, Father God, and nothing goes unseen by you, Father. When he walked in, he said, pray for me today, and we are doing just that. In public, we are lifting him up, Father God. Because though he may fight many battles alone, he may fight many battles in silence, today is the day you ordained for him to be lifted up by his congregation. And Lord, we, put, we pray that you put your hands over him the places that need healing, the places that need restoration, that you continue, Father God, to deliver your word in such a way that he delivers it to us, Father God. We pray for healing over his body. You know the situation that he's encountering, Father God, but you know it all. What is it, Lord Jesus, that you want to speak to him, Father God? What is it, Father God, that you've been trying to tell him, Lord Jesus? And it may not be right now, Father God, but I believe during the course of time, you will speak, Father God. And that word will go out, Father God. And it would not return void, Father God, because he is your mouthpiece. He is your vessel. In the name of Jesus.
we lift up a banner father god for this man for his family father god for every single thing and even though there are situations just like joseph where it said that whatever you intended for my heart my lord flipped it for my good in the name of jesus we are believing father god that you will do it speak father god in your time and in the way that he will understand best but right now lord god we're just asking for your mercy father god and the anointing father god to just his cup may run over that he may overflow in your goodness that he may dance in your joy that the spirit of the living god may continue to father god to just press in on him father god and that if he needs to be up at five in the morning father god then so be it because like he said there is nothing better than being in your presence lord god we pray healing we pray guidance and just your goodness father god for all the rest of his days lord god You just um, <clears throat> meditate there in the presence of God. Just sit there. I close off by saying that the, the Lord is in the work of causing. He's faithfully causing in your life. Whether it's a storm on your disobedience or a storm sharpening your obedience, one thing is true. If the Lord is causing it, then he is faithful in keeping your boat up, reminding you that your boat will not go down. And even if you jump off, even if you're thrown off, he's reminding you, if not, that he has a fish to keep you. He keeps you. But in the beginning and at the end of it all, he wants us to be present, obedient, present in his presence, faithful, obedient, and presence-led, because that is his best for you, so that he could be glorified. That is his best for us. Lord, I thank you because in this room I don't have to be convinced, Lord, that there's worries in our hearts, in our minds. There's turmoil in, in our families. But I don't have to be worried for once, Lord God saying, Lord, you're not with me. You're not with us. But in these last two weeks, if there's anything that we could say, it's that the presence of the Lord is with me. The presence of the Lord is with you. And he's causing all of this to work for the good. I pray for each person that's here, every family, every relationship, every struggle, every heartache, every thought that, that the person closest to them doesn't even know. We have thoughts maybe in our mind that's only between you and us. And we won't even dare sometimes to even share what some of those thoughts are. But we can't hide them from you. Whatever all those things are, that today you would present yourself before it all. That you would strengthen us before it all. That we would place ourselves in your presence. That we would know, Lord God, that we are in the right place. Cause us to be obedient. Cause us to be faithful. Cause us to be led by your presence. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for such a beautiful morning you've given us. Thank you because you have the best for me. You have the best in mind for me. 
Sometimes I have the worst in mind for myself. I thought it would be a good idea. But you have the best in mind. So I submit and I surrender myself to what you have for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we sing that song, can you hug someone a little tighter today? Can you just pray with someone maybe today? Can you walk out of here knowing today that you are loved? I pray that today would not go unnoticed. His presence and his word in this place would not go unnoticed. But that today means something deep to you. Maybe hug someone a little tighter today. Maybe say something you've been wanting to say. Walk out of here with your eyes lifted up to the, to the hills where your help comes from. For he has what's best for you. Amen. Give someone a hug and some love today. Next Sunday, we're back to do this all over again. Amen.